Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Generally speaking, if you have to remind everybody about how humble you are, you're probably not very humble. We could learn, all of us could, a dose of humility, um, especially in, in the face of how prideful and, and self-centered and narcissistic our culture is. Uh, and, and I hope that's what we glean today from the Lord's Word. In chapter 2 of Matthew, if you want to turn there, we're going to look at, at two, two encounters, two sets of circumstances, one with King Herod and the next with the Magi, and Herod's pridefulness and the Magi's humility. So... Join along with me in verses 1 to 18. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from him the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. When they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and having been warned by, in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child with his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, King Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. When he had said that what he had said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, a voice heard, is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel stopped weeping for, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because there are no more. As I said, a couple things that I want to glean today from this idea of a prideful king and from humble magi. And first is this, that pride has a short fuse. It has a short fuse. Look at verse 3 again. It says, The king Herod heard this. He was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. He was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. In essence saying, How dare, there, how dare this the Jews declare another king besides me, besides myself? Rather than go find out what's going on, he sets the wheels in motion for murder. Great leadership there, as you can see. 
The reason that pride has a short fuse is because it refuses to compete on a level playing field because pride, friend, is all about control. If pride can't control the circumstances, the environment for its own good, for its own, its own validity, it can't function. Herod couldn't see the truth for looking at himself. And people will often say love is blind, but pride is more blind. I wonder how many apologies, uh, how many uh, compliments that pride has silenced. And I wonder how many severed relationships and broken marriages can be traced back to pride. Uh, my experience is most of them, yeah, in fact. Pride's short fuse usually leaves it alone and isolated because pride has a way of setting itself aside and not playing well with, with others. Uh, folks, folks have a short fuse themselves in dealing with people with too much pride and, and uh, folks that are prideful, as I said, often find themselves in isolation and alone and wonder why, why that ever happened. Well, it's because pride has a short fuse. And when I respond in, in that way uh, from a short fuse, my, my real motives are going to be seen and exposed. Second thing about pride is that pride always has an angle. It always has an angle. Look again at verse 7 and 8 with me. It says, Then Herod called the Magi, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. It says, Herod called, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out the time. It's human nature to cover up what we know in our heart is wrong. It just is. Uh, that's why the KKK wore hoods, all of them. That's why terrorists in our day are masked, so you can't tell who they are. You know why? Because in their heart, they know what they're doing is evil. In their heart, they know what they're doing is wrong and don't want to be exposed and seen and recognized. That's what pride does. It's, it, 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 it is, it is uh, secretive and tries to cover up what it, what it knows in its heart is wrong, and Herod knew what he was doing. His response was wrong. Uh, he and the Magi share, share the same chapter of Scripture. They certainly don't share the same heart, for sure. Uh, the Magi's intent was for worship. His intent was to murder. They were drawn by their wonder of the story of the king and in hopes that they could see him. And he was moving forward in self-preservation to say, there's another king in, in, in Judea, in Judah. That's a threat to me, and I'll have to do away with him. Pride will always find a way to manipulate either the people or the process in order to get its own way. It's all about manipulation with pride. Herod's pride led to infanticide. You see that in verse 16 where he calls for the death of all little boys in, in, in that region under two years old. Uh, which was really nothing. Infanticide was nothing to him. Herod, Herod had three of his own sons killed. One, one before this point and, and two afterwards. But they weren't all under two, but he had three of his own sons killed. Uh, shows you what, what a self-centered and narcissistic man he is. Manipulation is birthed in pride. And, and as such, <clears throat> pride will always find a way to the extreme. It'll always find a way to extremity, to, to doing something over and above and beyond what's necessary because pride always has an angle and pride always has a short fuse. Now let's look at humility. Humility, first of all, submits itself. 
It submits itself. Look with me, if you will, again at verse 7. I'm sorry, 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They bowed down and worshipped him. Now, these magi were not submissive people by nature. In fact, they expected submission to them. They were, most uh, biblical scholars believed them to be, in fact, some, some translations will refer to them as kings. They weren't kings of regions per se, but they were kings in the sense that they had the ear of every king they knew. And, and, and the kings, wherever they came from in the east, which is now probably modern day Iran and Iraq, uh, in, in their journey from the east, Wherever they came from, they, they had the, the ear and, and had an inside track to, to the highest authority in their region. So they were used to submission to them, not the other way around. And, and where they find themselves in, is bowed on their knees before the king in worship of him in, in a submissive posture. Pride calculates what submission does for me. Submission and humility simply just submits, period, with, with no calculation aside from what it may do for me or not. The Magi traveled a great distance and at considerable expense to do one thing, to submit themselves in worship. Now, as, a, as an aside, many people think that there were three Magi because there were three gifts. Could have been one or two, could have been five. We don't know how many there were, but there were three gifts, so we assume that there were three. But there was far more than three traveled because men of this stature traveled with an entourage. They had at least a servant or two. Probably had, had some donkeys or horses or camels carrying supplies, food and so forth for, for, for their journey and guys to administer that. So there was an entourage with them as, as they traveled. And as I say, there was considerable expense involved on their part to make this trip. Uh, but they, they did it for one thing, to submit themselves in worship. I wonder what submission is worth to you. I wonder how, how, how deeply you want something enough to submit yourself to, to, to whatever or whomever it takes to get there. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with, with a friend of mine that I've known for years. Um, had, had been having some heart issues and he said, you know, the hardest thing for me to do was to get myself out of the equation, get my doctor's advice out of the equation, get my, my own fears out of the equation and submit to what God wanted for me, whether that was cancer or not, whether that was heart disease or not, whether that was divorce or not. Um, that's, that's hard for folks to do sometimes, is to <coughs> submit ourselves to someone else's authority. And, and, and as I said before, certainly the Lord himself too. But it's, uh, it's what we're called to do, and it's what humility does on its own. Um, when we're willing to submit, we can find the king. The submission is the key to finding him. If our motive is otherwise, we seldom will. God says the humble always has his, his attention. He will exalt the, the humble, the scripture says. Well, humility submits itself, itself. Secondly, humility lives in obedience. Look at verse 12 with me. It lives in obedience. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route having been warned in a dream. Fear and faith are probably the two biggest motivators in our life. We respond positively or negatively to that which we're anxious about or fearful about or that which we have the faith to step into. 
they had been motivated, had, had these guys been motivated by fear, uh, the Magi would have gone back to Herod, but they weren't. They were motivated by the faith, that faith that was caused them to set out on this trip, the faith that caused them to, to see the star again day after day, evening after evening in, in the sky, and bring that journey to a culmination of finding the king and, and having the opportunity to bow before him and worship him. Faith motivated their journey. And it also motivated them by way of the dream not to go back to Herod. Uh, but being motivated by faith, they went home rejoicing, as this story says. So what stood between fear and faith for them? What stood between Herod and the dream was an encounter with Jesus. And friend, that would change your, your, change your faith journey as well. If, if, when we learn to encounter him intimately and learn to worship him, learn to uh, humble ourselves and submit to him, our, our faith will be strengthened and, and will be encouraged by that. Their response was simple obedience. And the same is true for us. In fact, 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace, an ending to the humble. Humility submits itself and lives in obedience. Oh, what's the lesson in this text? It's really pretty simple. Every time, if we stay at it long enough, pride loses and humility wins. Pride loses and humility wins. Consider with me, the one who made everything made himself nothing to offer us everything. That's what humility does. Why is that the case? Because the manger, friend, is the message. That, that humble start, that, that humble state and humble start is the message. Yes, the angels came on the hillside and sang glory to God in the highest. It was a glorious moment. But the follow-up to what they had to say to the shepherds was, you'll find them in swaddling clothes and strips of cloth lying in a manger. We just heard glory to God in the highest. And the king is coming in a manger? Yeah, because the manger is the story. The story of his birth is a story of humility. Uh, down in the lowly manger, the humble Christ was born. And God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Humility puts us in a, in a position and posture of worship. And when we see the humility that he was born into and born with, born from, it should motivate us to pick up pride and put it on the shelf with the elf and let it stay there and walk in humility. Walk, walk in, 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 in light of his grace and mercy that we don't deserve that he showers on us in abundance again and again, over and over again. Humility will do that. That's the kind of effect it has. And there's no room in the life of a believer for pride because pride will eventually dig a grave for us. Let's pray. Father, each of us uh, in this room struggle at some time or another with pride. We struggle with wanting our way as opposed to yours. Our way as opposed to our bosses or our, our husband or our wife, our family member, a friend. We want our way because we're consumed, most of us, with ourselves because we are walking and living and doing business and having relationships in a culture that is consumed with itself. And we think if we're supposed to fit in that self-consumption is the norm. It's the way we're supposed to live and walk. But it isn't. And you've shown us in this passage that the elite, those who 
were submitted to normally submitted themselves to you. When they came into your presence, they bowed and offered themselves in worship before you. Submission humbles us and humility causes us to submit. There's no room for pride in the heart of a believer. Would you stir that up in us today for life to be less about ourselves and more about what you want and more about serving and seeing the needs of others? Humility will take us to that place. It'll help us see those things that we would otherwise never see with pride in our hearts. But you want us to see them. You want us to pick them up and walk with them and learn to sow, love, and serve the way you love and serve. Now, stir that in us today and afresh again tomorrow and afresh the next day. Because we live in a world that's consumed with itself that, that is prideful at every turn. And to stick out and to have a, have a witness and a walk and a word that matters and that is distinctive in this culture, humility is the vehicle to, to have that kind of witness and that kind of platform with others. The more we humble ourselves, the greater influence we have. Teach us that value and that truth and that principle this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ. 